Guess what I'm watching on my phone right now? This is, uh, this is Facebook Live, and we're live this morning, you guys. Praise God. Thank you to uh, Chance and Jeff and Pastor Andrew for working on the technology, because I know there's uh, Lord Will and some folks who had to stay home today who will get to watch our church service and be a part of us, and that's, that's pretty awesome. We are in a study in the book of Mark. We've made it to the eighth chapter, kind of to the halfway point of the book. And Jesus transitions from one major topic to the next, or should I say the author, uh, John Mark, transitions. So today uh, we're going to see a whole lot about profit and loss. And for you business people, you're going, all right, here we go. A Bible study I can understand. And Jesus is going to give us just a whole lot of input that honestly has been kicking my tail all week long and into the week before. It, it, it's a hard word. It's a good word. And my prayer is that each of us would be challenged today. There's weeks where I think the Lord wants to comfort us. There's weeks where we, we need encouragement. This is a week where I have been praying that the Lord would challenge us. It's going to be awesome. So let's dive right in without any more ado, since I'm speaking French this morning. All right, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So I'm going to catch you up real quick here before we talk about what this text means. Uh, as I said, this is part two. We, we started, we left kind of with a cliffhanger last week. Uh, this, this whole chunk of text is kind of a hinge point in the book of Mark. Up until now, the question in the book of Mark has been, who is Jesus? And from this point onward in the book, it's going to change to a twofold question of what kind of Messiah is he? Because Messiah was the answer to who is Jesus. And what does discipleship look like? So now that we know what Jesus is like and what his uh, messiahship will be like, what does that mean to the disciple? <coughs> Where we last left off, Jesus had just blown his disciples' minds with the type of messiah he was going to be. The fact that he would be a suffering servant. Um, that kind of concept that messiah, the savior of the Jewish people, was going to be a suffering servant was unfathomable to Jewish people. It, it just, it turned upside down all of Jewish thought. And Jesus had declared plainly, he said, I must suffer, I must be rejected, I must die, and I must rise again. And Peter, <laughs> the, the uh, I like to call him the loudmouth disciple, but the honest disciple. I, I, I get Peter. I, I tend to, to, to be at this place in life now where I'm like, I need you to just say what I mean, and I just mean what I say, and just be out there. It's better for all the information to just be on the table so we can deal with it than for me to hold anything back, especially if it's helpful to resolution. I don't like conflict, but I understand the need for it. Peter is this kind of guy. It's like, yeah, this is not okay, Jesus. He pulls Jesus to the side and rebukes him. He rebukes Jesus and says, what are you talking about? You, you Suffering servant, that's not what Messiah is going to be. And Jesus, however, needed to rebuke Peter because Peter wasn't getting it. Uh, 
even though, again, all of Jewish thought had been turned upside down, Jesus would be the suffering servant, the servant of the Lord that Isaiah describes. And there was things that he must do. Again, he must suffer. He must be rejected. He must die. He must rise again. And so Peter and all of the disciples, they needed to accept. They must accept God's plan for Messiah. He would die a substitutionary death. And he would make a way for us to be at peace with God. And forever, he would cancel sin's debt for anyone who called on the name of Jesus. But this new paradigm is a new way of thinking for the disciples. So last week, Pastor Mark got to share the text with us here in Lacey. And I got to share up in DuPont. It was fun to pulpit swap a little bit there. But we understand now that Jesus Christ must suffer. But with this new paradigm comes kind of the second chunk that we're going to look at today. With the new paradigm uh, in the thinking of the minds of the Jewish people of what Messiah was going to be comes a new paradigm for all of us to grasp of what discipleship looks like. Because imagine the disciples' anticipation of Jesus being kind of a, a political and a military giant that comes in and kicks tail and takes names and takes over from the Roman government, and now the whole world can be at peace through the Jewish nation. If you're kind of the disciple of that kind of rabbi, then you're going you're gonna to be like, I'm going to be a colonel, or I'm going to be a major colonel, or I'm going to be like a general. Like, there's 12 of us. There's not very many. We'll be the 12 generals of this whole world. And you have this, in, this idea of what discipleship is going to look like to the Messiah. That's not it. So if Jesus Christ was going to be a suffering servant, what does that make his followers? What will our lives look like? What should our lives look like as a result of the cross of Jesus Christ? So... That's to catch you up of where we're going today. <laughs> so by calling the crowd to him with his disciples, what Jesus does is he confirms that this teaching, the teaching to come, is for every disciple. It's not just for the elite. It's not just for the 12. It's for us. So the first thing he says is, if anyone would come after me. Uh, a guy named Ken Kesey once said this of, of leadership. You don't lead by pointing and telling people some place to go. You lead by going to that place and making a case. That's Jesus. Again, Jesus has instructed the disciples on where he's going. Now he's going to teach them what they need to do in order to go where he's going. <coughs> he's going to give three requirements for discipleship. And I'm just going to pull them up on the screen because I'm sometimes a visual learner, so this might help you. First one is this. The disciple is to deny himself, Jesus says. It's literally say no to yourself. It's the same word for disown. Like I disown you. You are no longer mine. We're supposed to disown ourselves. Um, Jesus calls you and I to put to death the idol of me. The idol of me is, is the most dangerous idol I have. We think, well, we don't worship we don't worship idols like people and then, you know, carve the images and bow down and say whatever. We don't do that kind of stuff. Oh, yes, we do. <laughs> it, it's typically it starts in the mirror in the morning. And and we're staring and we're like, wow, that OK, I got to make this look good for the rest of the world, because what the world thinks of me is really important. And I want them to see just how great I am. 
So I'm going to do everything I can to make my greatness known. We don't think that maybe overtly. That's what we're thinking. And throughout the day, the idol of I is something that you and I battle. Self-denial, this call of the disciple, is not a normal human attitude. <laughs> From birth, we, we feel like we've got to look out for number one. I mean, I, I got to make sure that I get my stuff and have my turn. And Oh, you, you want to take somebody off. Cut in front of them in line. Oh, yeah. It's, it, it's a thing. And, and people do it, and you feel yourself enraged all of a sudden. Like, what? I waited in line. The line's back there, mister. That's the most uncomfortable thing is when you're in a little line of people and it's kind of a weird line. It's going a different direction. And somebody walks up that doesn't realize there's a line and they just plop right up there. And it's like, who's going to be the first one to say it? The line's back there, ma'am. We just we feel like this, this guttural sensation of I've been wronged. That's so tiny. Somebody, somebody going in front of me? Somebody cutting me off in my car? Somebody deciding that they they need to get out into traffic even though I'm the last car and there's nobody behind me. I get angry. I get mad because of the idol of I. The first step to Christ followers, though, is self-denial. The world might say, hey, you've got rights. You've got privileges. You need to stick up for yourself. Jesus says, nope, you don't. You don't. It's not that Jesus is calling us to think lesser of ourselves. He's actually calling us to think less often of ourselves. <laughs> Practically never. I, I no longer ask, what do I want today? The disciple constantly asks, what does Jesus want today? This moment, this year, this next 10 years. What does Jesus want? I renounce my rights and my privileges I deny any position or status among men. I must deny myself. I must. Jesus Christ did it. And so will I. If we follow this to its natural end, denying ourselves, we actually must even deny our very right to life itself. Which leads to Jesus' second command for the disciple. He says to take up his cross. This means the disciple says yes to sacrifice. Uh, the cross is an interesting thing because I think in, in the Western world, um, this side of the crucifixion today and in 2020, uh, the cross is worn around our necks. It's, it's hung in our church. Um, We've got a big one out front that I really like. It's generally admired by Christians at least. Um, which would not have been the case in the disciples' minds at all at the time. The, the cross was a, a sign of Roman oppression. It was their torture device that they had set up to instill fear into people because it killed you slowly and mercilessly. Uh, it was a really shameful way to die. Most people were either naked or half naked and strung up as high as you can on a pole for the world to see where you proceeded to suffocate for a lengthy, lengthy period of time. And most of the time, you had to finally be put out of your misery after your time of suffering was done. 
So for the disciples to say, to hear these words from Jesus would have baffled them at first. Take up your cross? What, what are you talking about? The, disi- the disciples were supposed to take up my cross? What does this mean? But this was Jesus' destiny. And they'll find out pretty shortly here that this is, again, what must happen. And Jesus, again, he's the leader that doesn't just say, go there. He's going there and making a case for the fact that we need to do the same. So Jesus is going to go before the disciples in taking up the cross, just like he did in denying himself. That's where he was going, and that's where I need to be go, willing to go, ready to go, able to go, whatever God says. Because no longer do I say, what do I want out of this life? I say, what does Jesus want out of this life? And he's going to the cross. And the disciples need to be ready to do the third thing, which is to follow me. Jesus says, follow me. That means for the disciples, we say wherever to service, wherever to sacrifice, wherever even to suffering. Where he goes, I go. Where he stays, I stay. Where he moves, I move. I'm going to follow Jesus. We're called to fall in line behind the commander and follow. Probably the first game you ever get taught when you're a kid is follow the leader. Follow the leader. You watch them. You do what they do. At first, it's just walking around that living room, and then you start to realize it's kind of funny if you literally say the same things that they say and wiggle exactly the way that they wiggle. But that's the game we're supposed to play with Jesus. It's simple. Follow him. Wherever he goes, we're going to go. I think, again, the reason that, that this message is so challenging is I think probably most of the people here would boldly declare if asked, yes, I'm a, I'm a Christ follower. But are we boldly ready to deny ourselves? Are we boldly ready to take up our cross? Are we boldly ready to follow him? Through suffering and even all the way to death, if it means we need to. I say no to self. I say yes to sacrifice. I say wherever to service. And that's the requirement. It's something we need to wrestle with. It's something that we need to consider. It's something that we need to chew on on a daily basis. Now that he's given us the requirements for the disciple, uh, Christ now tells us why it's so important. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. Uh, he uses something that uh, is one of my favorite poetic tools. You've probably heard of it before if you've heard me preach. It's called chiasm. Jesus uses chiasm right here. And it's an A-B-B-A uh, chiasm, which is Abba. And you guys can start singing Abba songs now if you'd like to help you remember. Um, he says it this way, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So it's an A-B-B-A kind of a sandwich that's meant to stick in our memory. It's meant to help us remember this proverb because it's very important. Um, Whoever would save his life. Now let's talk about the word life real quick because life comes up a couple times and we're into profit and loss stuff like crazy right now. Um, Life refers mostly in the Bible to um, the proverbial life, the soul, essentially, the, the, the essence of everything that you are, mind, 
spirit, personality. It's, it's your whole being, not so much to the physical body, even though we'll talk about that in a second, but I think he's referring to that as well. So what Jesus is saying is, is that if your goal, if my goal is to make this life as comfortable and easy and plush and amusing as possible to the detriment of the things that really matter, we're actually going to lose out. Now, again, this kind of goes against the grain of our human thinking. When we think about a profit and loss, we're like, I need to get lots of profit and I need to avoid loss. Jesus says it's just the opposite. He says whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel actually will save it. In God's economy, it's those that give their lives away for the gospel that really live and really have life. So we've got to ask ourselves some really challenging questions. Do more of my efforts go into protecting my rights and my comforts and my happiness? Or do I put my whole self behind blessing the name of Jesus, serving others, literally giving myself away? Those are difficult questions to ask ourselves, but they're vital. We, we must ask ourselves these questions because Jesus has just told us the life of the disciples to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. It's a life of sacrifice. Let's not forget, though, that this does, at least in some way, refer to the physical life. Um, <laughs> the, the truth is, if my greatest concern is protecting my physical life, I'm going to miss out on those requirements to discipleship because I am taking up my cross, my torture death instrument daily. That's what I'm called to do. And in Jesus Christ, we have absolutely no reason to fear death. We just don't. I, I will follow Jesus Christ to the grave if that's what's required of me, unquestionably and confidently. And God promises me a rich reward if I'm martyred in his name. So as, as Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's all good. And if I truly am asking the question, what does God want of my life? Then I'm willing to accept the answer if he wants martyrdom. If he wants me to suffer. If he wants me to be humiliated and ashamed in front of men, I know that I'm going to be glorified with him for all of eternity. So I just don't have to be scared of whatever the world brings at me. I just don't. To the world, this seems like crazy talk, this whole sermon. It, they would hear this and go, I'm sorry, what? You guys are ready to die? Are you Are you insane? This is this sounds like crazy people meeting in a room with green chairs with a bald guy up front. This this is who you guys are. But when you know Jesus Christ and when you realize what he's done for you, it makes you so willing to do anything for him. I'm confident that when we make the decision now, when we say today, right now, I'm willing to go all the way to a cross with Jesus if I need to. I'm willing. I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to be ashamed. I'm willing for people to humiliate me. I'm willing. I make the decision right now 
it makes a whole bunch of other decisions that follow in my life a whole lot easier. Today, declare, Lord, I will lose my life for you. I'll lose it, metaphorically speaking, giving myself away to serve others, to suffer in your name, to just know you. I'll give it all away to you. And I'll give my life away to you physically if that's what it takes. Jesus now asks two kind of rhetorical questions to drive his point home. He says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? But both of these uh, are supposed to be answered, nothing. And that's, that's the obvious answer he thinks that we should get to rhetorically. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but then give up his soul? Nothing. It profits you nothing. Nothing at all. The, the answer should be obvious to any logical person, Jesus says. For what can a man give in return for his soul? <coughs> Again, nothing. It's dust to dust. It's ashes to ashes when we die. Uh, Malcolm Forbes, Forbes magazine. You think of wealth when you hear that name, don't you? He's remembered as the man who coined the phrase, he who dies with the most toys wins. This was the wisdom of Forbes. He had motorcycles, Fabergé eggs, hot air balloons, castles, uh, countless other toys. Things that I'd really like to have too, honestly. It sounds really fun. But guess what didn't happen when Malcolm Forbes died? <laughs> guess what didn't happen? Can you imagine him walking up in front of Jesus? Jesus saying, why should I let you into eternity with my father? Have you trusted in me? He's like, well, I didn't, but I got some toys. Can I trade those in? No, that didn't happen. And if it happened, if he asked, Jesus said, no, you can't give anything in return for your soul. The soul is the soul. In man's economy, we would give anything up to gain riches and toys and comfort, uh, even our very own souls. But in God's economy, we give our souls to God, and we may, we may deny ourselves toys for the moment, but we get a rich reward for all eternity that far, far surpasses anything. And, and Jesus is going to talk that, about that again, so I'm not going to go too far into that in, in Mark chapter 10. But he will not be in debt to you for anything you give up in this life. I promise you that. You will have the richest of rewards for all eternity, and it will far surpass anything that your brain can even imagine right now. Anything you can even think up. It's better than that. I promise you. God promises you. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed. When he comes in glory, in the glory of his father with the heavenly angels. This, uh, this is a prophetic announcement that, that does apply both to believers and unbelievers just slightly differently. Um, for unbelievers living when the Son of Man returns to set up his kingdom, um, Jesus being ashamed before the Father will result in their loss of salvation. He, he will literally say, I never knew you. Your name's not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You haven't trusted me. We don't have a relationship. I never knew you. And so for unbelievers, this prophecy is talking about the fact that they will not have salvation. For believers living then, it's talking about the loss of reward. 
Uh, and, and it's not necessarily talking about a single act of failure, but a continuous attitude. Let's not remember that um, Peter himself will disown Jesus. Not only did he need to be rebuked a second ago because uh, he wanted Jesus to skip the cross and go straight to the throne. And, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Yeah, he called him out pretty quickly. Um, but three times he will disown the same Greek word for uh, deny ourselves. He will disown Jesus Christ and say, I never knew him. I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, Peter's in heaven right now. And, and Peter is likely not thinking about those failures because, again, this is not talking about a single act of failure. It's, it's talking about a continuous attitude. So believers, we may fall, fail and falter, but there's still repentance and hope. But the believers who have lived their life ashamed of Jesus Christ, we're going to be sorry. Who've said, I, I kind of want some fire insurance. I want to know Jesus so I don't go to hell. And yet we kind of, like, nobody knows we're believers. We wouldn't want to talk about that in public. We wouldn't want to admit that. I'm not a very vocal person. Jesus said, you're, you're ashamed of me. And so I'm going to be ashamed before my father when I'd, I'd like to reward you. I'm going to have to be ashamed instead. Jesus, uh, just like Peter wept bitterly in, in that story, at Christ's penetrating gaze when he denied him three times, we too will have to be under the gaze of Jesus Christ who says, you denied me before man when it mattered most. Christ is going to be ashamed of the way we used our lives. Again, th this doesn't mean that we're going to lose our salvation or somehow be uh, kept out of eternity. Once you've trusted in Jesus, you've trusted in Jesus, and you are his child. But rewards is a thing, and the loss of rewards is a thing. Being ashamed of Jesus, rejecting his claims, these have serious consequences um, that the great English preacher Graham Scroge once said, no cowards will be crowned. And that's what the judgment seat of Christ is really about. He will crown his saints for their achievements. Now, this prophecy is stated in the negative. It's a solemn warning. Jesus is now going to conclude this section with a positive, with some encouragement. That's just how he do. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. This little prophecy here, what Jesus meant, what he said here, there is a whole lot of writing on it. <laughs> I did all the studying for you. You're welcome. Uh, there, there, are, there are a lot of different theories. Is, is, he, is he talking about the resurrection? Is he talking about his second coming? Um, but one possibility that I really want you to consider is this. I think it's very likely that Jesus is referring to the very next happening in the book of Mark, which is the transfiguration. We're going to study this next week. It's going to be amazing. So there were, if that's what Jesus is referring to, there were indeed actually three guys, Peter, James, and John, who would see a preview of the kingdom of God momentarily. And what they witness is something to see. It's amazing. It's amazing. Overall, though, I think what Jesus is trying to do is confirm an important truth for the saints. And that is, suffering there may be, 
but glory is assured. Suffering there may be for you, believer, but glory is assured to you as my disciple. And I think that's probably the thrust of what he's trying to say. (coughs) On a monthly basis, we get a report from the amazing Teresa Forrester. It's called the Profit and Loss Report. Now, obviously, the GraceWorks is a a nonprofit, a 501c3, so it's not necessarily about profit. Uh, but we do need to take inventory of the finances of the church. We're, we're called to be wise financial stewards. There are things that we want to do for the kingdom. So we, we, we track what we've taken in, um, a.k.a. profit, and what we have spent, a.k.a. loss. The reality is at the end of your life, at the end of my life, we're going to get a very different kind of profit and loss report from Jesus himself. He is the one that God the Father has uh, raised up to become the judge of the living and the dead. Now, for those who've never called on the name of Jesus Christ for salvation, who've never trusted in him, there will be loss, great loss. The loss of the presence of God, the loss of eternity with him. In fact, eternity for that poor soul will be a frightening place of suffering and punishment for rejecting the Messiah. Now, for those who have trusted in Jesus, that he indeed is the Christ, the Son of God, and he lived a perfect life, he died a substitutionary death, raised from from the dead and didn't stay dead, there will be great profit, the profit of eternity, in the closest relationship with God possible, the profit of a new body, Glorified and perfected, no more cancer, no more alopecia, no more of any of this, no more COVID-19, all of it perfected. And eternity will be the most wonderful life with the most wonderful God doing the most wonderful things forever and ever and ever. Amen. Profit or loss. Now that profit and loss report is called the great white throne judgment in the Bible. Not every believer knows this, though. There will actually be a second profit and loss report that's only for the believer. It's referred to in the Bible as the judgment seat of Christ or the the Bema seat. You see, as believers, we have been given so much by God. He's given us life. He's given us spiritual gifts and a mission To use them all. And with all that we've been given, Jesus is going to call us into account for our lives. He's going to want to know, what's the profit and loss on my investment in Kevin Pitts? Have, Have you been faithful with just the gift of life through Jesus Christ? And have you been faithful with the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Have you denied yourself? Have you taken up your cross, Kevin? Have you followed me? The goal of the judgment seat of Christ is reward. That's what he wants to do, which in and of itself blows my mind. Because um, the Bible says that I couldn't have even wanted to come to him if it weren't for the prompting of the Holy Spirit. So he gets credit for me ever being interested in him. And you too. You didn't figure it out. You weren't a really moral person and realize you need God. No, he sought you out. 
He gets credit for the beginning. He, he enabled me to have faith in him to believe and to become a believer. He gets credit for the next step and for salvation. Then he's the one that gives me spiritual gifts. They're his gifts. He gets credit for them too. He's the one that provides the fruit of the Spirit because that's his nature now imparted to me. He gets credit for that too. And any good thing that I ever do, it's following him and doing it through him and for him. Why doesn't he get all the credit? Well, he does, but he's such a gracious God, he wants to reward you. <laughs> that's crazy. That's insane talk. God, it, it, Scripture's clear, too, that we're going to get up there, and he's going to be like, here's a crown. And I'm going to be like, no, man, that's your crown. And he's like, no, you, no, you. We're going to hug, and we're going to celebrate. It's going to be amazing. I mean, I, again, we can't even fathom how amazing it's going to be. But Scripture also says there will be times where we have to reflect on the loss of rewards as well. There will be an accounting for every careless word that Kevin Pitts has spoken. And there will be an accounting for every lustful thought or deed that Kevin Pitts has done. And there will be an account for the opportunities I missed because I was asking myself, what do I want today instead of what does Jesus want today? And I will have an acute awareness of so much that I lost out on because I was selfish. Now, the goal of the judgment seat of Christ is reward, but there will also be loss. The beauty is that Jesus says he'll also wipe away every tear over the unfaithfulness of our lives, and we will still enjoy eternity with him. This isn't an in-and-out kind of a judgment. This is a rewards kind of a judgment. So we need to take stock of our own profit and loss like we do at the Graceworks on a monthly basis to make sure we're in step. We need to take stock. Are we in step with Jesus Christ? Have we done everything necessary so that we can hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord? Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father,